This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Today, we're going to be diving into a bebop jazz standard, looking at the harmony so that we can see what kind of improv lessons we can learn, what kind of harmony lessons we can learn so that we can play other jazz standards even better. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast absolutely love doing this show. Always excited to dive into some music with you. I'm going to help you look into a a really cool jazz standard, one that we actually studied last month in our Inner Circle membership, but I like to share it with you guys here on the podcast because there's a lot of cool harmonic stuff that happens with this jazz standard. And you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that I always preach and talk about how learning jazz standards, understanding jazz standards better, like the more we do it, the easier jazz improvisation gets, the easier learning new jazz standards gets. Just in general, learn more tunes, learn more tunes, learn more tunes. That is just the message I always preach. And the better that we understand jazz harmony, the better off we're going to be. So uh, I'm excited just to dive into some of the cool harmonic secrets in this jazz standard, which I'll reveal very shortly. Of course, before we do that, this show is sponsored by our very own LJS Inner Circle membership, where, by the way, we learn a new jazz standard every single month in our jazz standards club, where we dive deep into one, we learn it in a month, we have practice itineraries, we have resource packs with etudes and chords analysis and a training video and exercises for improv, all kinds of great stuff. But it's not only that, we have tons of practice program courses, such as deep dives into jazz blues. We're going to be coming out with one on rhythm change soon, minor blues, 30 steps to better jazz playing, music theory, ear training, everything that you need to become a better jazz musician is inside of the inner circle. And most importantly, you're not doing it alone. You have over a thousand other musicians who play all sorts of instruments who are working through all this stuff with you. It is the most supportive and motivating jazz environment I've ever been a part of here in the LJS Inner Circle. So do check it out. Go to ljsinnercircle.com. It's the beginning of 2022. This is the best time for you to recommit to your jazz playing, ljsinnercircle.com, and we'll look forward to having you there as a member. All right, let's jump right in to the analysis of this amazing bebop jazz standard. Okay, the big reveal. What is the jazz standard that has all these cool, amazing harmonic secrets that we're going to be studying today? Well, I'll play the melody, uh, the first part of the melody, and then you see if you know which one it is.
right. What jazz standard is that? That is Yardbird Sweet by Charlie Parker. Yardbird Sweet by Charlie Parker. One of my favorite bebop jazz standards. Um, and it's a great song to improvise over, of course. It's fun to play. The melody isn't quite as beboppy as other bebop heads where, you know, it's very um, challenging, virtuosic. It's actually a little bit more of a single melody, which I think makes it a very accessible bebop jazz standard. So let's go ahead and start going over the chords analysis of this Yardbird Suite tune. So the very first four bars are C6. Okay, so we're in concert C is what this tune is in. So C6 for one bar. Then we have an F minor 7 to a B flat 7 in bar 2. So it's C6, B flat, uh, F minor 7 to B flat 7 to C major 7 for two beats, B flat 7 for two beats, and then A7 for one bar. So C6 for one bar, and then F minor 7, B flat 7, C major 7, B flat 7, A7. So let's just start with those first four bars now that you know what they are. So our C6 is our one chord. Now you may wonder why is it a sixth chord and not a major seventh, which a lot of jazz standards, everything is just a seventh chord, right? Well, it's pretty typical in the swing era that instead of major seventh chords, you'd be using six chords instead, okay? So not having the seventh in the chord structure. Now, bebop is sort of this crossover uh, period of time where, yeah, we start adding more major sevenths and stuff like that into the harmony, but there still is these sixes in here. So when me and my team really dug into this tune, we decided that that one chord is a six chord. You can interchange it for a major seventh, no problem though. So that's the one chord for the first bar. Now, the interesting harmonic element that comes up right away is in bar two, where we have this F minor seven to B flat seven. So there's a few things I want to point out here is that, first of all, we're going away from the key center of concert C, literally in the second bar. So we have to figure out what's going on here. So my first thought when I see an F minor 7 to a B flat 7 is, well, F minor to B flat would be like a 2, 5, 1 into E flat major. So like F minor is a 2, B flat 7 is a 5. And then would it go to the E flat major seven? That's what my head goes to. However, that's actually not what happens because whenever we're looking at harmony, we have to look at what came before it and what comes after it. And what came before it is that C6, F minor seven, B flat seven. And then instead of going to an E flat major, it goes to a C major seventh. Okay, so something weird happened there. So the first thing we would call this when it comes to music theory is called a deceptive cadence. Deceptive cadence. It's deceptive because, again, we think that this F minor to B flat seven would go to an E flat major. That would be a pretty common thing to happen in jazz, a two, five, one chord progression. It's deceptive because it doesn't do that. It resolves to a C major seventh. Okay, it resolves to a C major seventh. So something is happening here and we have to figure out what it is. Well, another music theory thing that's important to know that's happening here is what we call a backdoor dominant. Okay. A backdoor dominant. Now, first of all, we have to talk about what do dominant chords do? Dominant chords are, you know, spelt root, third, fifth, and then flat seven, right? So 
that's how we spell a dominant seventh chord. Now, dominant seventh chords are what I like to call tension chords, tension and release. They're most usually resolving to something that releases that tension. So the five, right? That's a five to one, right? So tension and release. So a dominant seventh chord is going to be resolving to something. So when we have the F minor seven to the B flat seven, this B flat seven is what we're calling a backdoor dominant. Now this B flat seven, it needs to be resolving somewhere. Where is it resolving? To a C major seven, okay? So B flat seven to a C major seven. But typically when we think about resolving to the one chord, we think about a five to one relationship. So the five would be G seven, right? In C majors, but we're not doing that. That's why we call this a backdoor dominant. And then all we're doing with this backdoor dominant is we're throwing a two in front of it. So the F minor seventh. So more harmonic movement. So a deceptive cadence, that B flat seven, being our backdoor dominant. Now, you may ask, well, why does a backdoor dominant work, right? We see this all the time in jazz, so it must work somehow. Well, what happens is that B flat seven is actually sharing a lot of tones. It has some shared tones, rather, with an altered G seventh chord, or the altered five chord. So therefore, it shares enough of those sounds that it can suit our ears. Now, on top of that, it's coming from a whole step. A backdoor dominant is always coming from a whole step below the arrival point, right? So B flat to C, right? Whole step below, right? So a backdoor dominant is something you'll see quite a bit. So as I'm talking about this, Think about other jazz standards that you know that have backdoor dominance or log this away in your memory because you're definitely going to see this happen again. That's why this tune is a great one to study because it has a lot of these cool harmonic elements in it. So again, C6, that's the one chord. Then we have this 2-5 deceptive cadence and that B flat 7 is the backdoor dominant that gives us the tension and the release to the one, that's C major 7. Okay, let's look at bar three now, because now we have a C major seven to a B flat seven to an A seven. Okay, now this is the way we analyze this. The C major seven is obviously the one chord. The B flat seven is a flat seven chord, a flat seven chord. Now we know in the key of C major, the seven is not a flat seven. The seven would be actually a B minor seven flat five, but instead we're playing a B flat seven. It's the flat seven. And what we have to decide again is what is that? Does that mean if it's not in the key, how do we analyze this? Why did we decide a flat seven is going to work in the key of concert C major? Well, again, whenever we're analyzing harmony, we look at the chord that came before it and the chord that comes after it. So the chord that comes before it is C major seven. The chord that comes after the B flat seven is A seven, okay? A seven, all right. So another thing we have to do is look a little further. If we go to bar five, it resolves to a D seven. Okay, so we have to decide, well, what really is this A7 here? It's it's a six chord. It's what we call the dominant six chord. Very common in jazz to turn the six chord from a minor into a dominant seventh chord. It's called a secondary dominant, which we're going to go over in just one second. Okay, so 
Really, what I'm thinking is technically another way we could get to that sixth chord is going C major seven, and then instead of the B flat is a two to a five, like the A seven resolving to the D seven. So it's almost like a two five to a D seven, right? So that's kind of the harmonic background that I'm thinking about. So one, and then a two, five, that's E minor seven flat five to A seven. So the A seven is the sixth chord in C, but we're thinking of this now as a five that resolves to the D seven, right? So this is how we come up with this idea that the A seven is tonicizing the D seven. Okay, the A seven is tonicizing the D seven. And whenever we have a chord that tonicizes another chord that is diatonic, diatonic meaning it's in the key center, we call this a secondary dominant. Because again, A7 is not in the key of C, A minor is, but when we turn into a dominant seventh chord, we're now tonicizing the D7, which is the two chord in C. So it makes it sound like it's a new uh, key center, even though it's still inside of the uh, the key of, of C, right? So we're taking a diatonic chord and making it a new tonic, at least making it sound like a new tonic, okay? Now, I know that's a lot, and especially if you've never heard of all this before, it could sound confusing, but we'll keep going over it a little bit more throughout this analysis. So we have our C major 7, and then we have that idea that maybe we're tonicizing so I put that two chord, but we don't have that. We have a B flat seven. Okay, this is what we call a tritone substitution. Okay, okay. So a tritone away from the two, which would be E minor seven flat five, is B, B flat rather. So B flat is the flat five, right? We can think of um, a tritone as a tritone interval as a flat five or a sharp four. Okay, and that's the sound, right? So a tritone substitution says we can take a dominant seventh chord, a tritone interval away from a chord that uh, we have in the harmony and substitute it for that dominant seventh chord, a tritone away, and it's going to work, right? It's going to have some cool harmonic movement, especially because in this case, if we go C major to B flat to A7, Right? So it's a cool little chromatic half step away with the bass notes, right? So it makes it sound really good. And this allows for it allows for some cool bluesy stuff that you can possibly do when you're improvising. Now this is baked into the chord changes. If you listen to the original Charlie Parker version, there is not a two five. Okay, there's not. It's actually that tritone substitution is baked in to the chord changes. So it's not really even substituting anything. It's actually just what the chords are. Okay, so that B flat seven is the flat seven, but it's also a tritone substitution of a two that goes to the A seven, which is feeling, even though the A seven is, is a dominant six chord in C, it feels like it's tonicizing the D seven. Okay, okay, so. That's a lot. That's a lot right there. That's the first four bars. So let's let's talk about the the the, the next um, the next four bars. So we have a D seven, like I just said, that we arrived to for one bar. So D seven, then D minor seven, G seven in one, in the next bar in bar two. So two beats each. D minor seven, G seven. So we have D seven for one bar, then D minor seven, G seven. 
And then we have the next two bars, two beats each, E minor seven, A seven, D minor seven, G seven. Okay, so we have D seven for one bar, then D minor seven, G seven, E minor seven, A seven, D minor seven, G seven. Okay, tracking, we'll, we'll go through it slowly though. Okay, so again, we just came from that A seven and now we're at this D seven. Okay, now, the D7 again, this is what makes this a very interesting tune. A D7 is not in the key of concert C. Um, however, I'm notating this, I'm analyzing this Roman numeral wise as the two chord, but it's a dominant two chord. Okay, it's a dominant two chord. So remember the two chord in C major is, is, is D minor, right? That's always a two chord, but we're making it a dominant seventh. Now, again, this is another example of a secondary dominant. Okay, what we're doing is it's actually uh, it's actually a very common one that we see and we call it the five of five okay the five of five like for example we just had the a7 right we have the c major b flat to a7 that a7 is actually what we call the five of two right the a7 is the five of two because it's making that that two chord tonicized but the when you when you make a two chord dominant, then essentially what you're saying is it's now the five of five because that D7 is feeling like a five chord to the five chord, which is a dominant seventh chord. Kind of makes it very confusing. It's a confusing secondary dominant because usually a dominant seventh chord, again, resolves to something. In this case, we're resolving to a chord that needs to be resolved. G7, the five chord needs to be resolved, right? So the cycling dominant seventh chords, this happens all the time in jazz. So you got to get used to it. You got to get used to this idea of turning a minor seventh chords into dominant seventh chords and, and all this stuff because it happens and we call it secondary dominance, right? So you have this D7. It feels like the new tonic, but we made it into a dominant seventh chord. It's the five of five. But in the next bar, we actually turn it into the minor seventh. We actually do. So this happens in jazz too. You you make that two chord a tension chord, and then you make it not a tension chord. Right? You make it into a regular two chord. So tension chord, and then you make it into a two chord, a regular minor seventh chord. And it goes D minor seven, G seven. So that's a two five chord progression, right? D minor seven, G seven is a two five in C major. So D seven, secondary dominant, then change it to a regular two chord. And a five. So then the last two bars of, of this next four bar section here is what we call a turnaround, right? So you would think with the G7 that we're going to go to C major 7. That would be the 251 natural resolution here. But that's not what's happening. It actually goes to the three chord. It goes D minor 7, G7, and then 3. What's the three chord? It's E minor 7th, right? E minor 7th to A7. A7 is the 6, but remember, it's a dominant 7th chord, which means, what is it? It's the 5 of 2, because it goes E minor 7, A7, D minor 7, right? So the A7 tonicizes the D minor 7, but the D minor is 2, and then it goes 5 to G, and then back to C6 again. Okay, so let's go over that. So we have the D7 for one bar, that's a dominant 2, then D minor 7, G7, that's the 2, 5, then 3... Six, two, five, and then back to the C6, the one chord, okay? So 
the main thing that I want you to take away from here is why can we use the E minor seventh, right? So the E minor seventh, that's the three chord. The three chord is really technically interchangeable with the C chord, the one chord rather. Okay. The three chord is interchangeable with the one chord. So that's why sometimes you'll hear in these turnarounds, instead of a one, six, two, five, you'll hear three, six, two, five, different bass root movement, slightly different color tones happening in the movement. So this is a way that you can create some interest if you're composing a tune and you want a one, six, two, five, then the next time, and this happens in rhythm changes, by the way, go three, six, maybe do a tritone substitution, right? You can do all sorts of cool things once you understand harmony better, which is why we're going over this tune, okay? So in summary, the eight bars, the first eight bars is C6, that's the one chord, then F minor seven, B flat seven, that's the deceptive cadence backdoor dominant to the C major seventh, the B flat seven, flat seven, tritone sub, to the A7, the dominant six, the secondary dominant going to the D7, which is the secondary dominant to the five chord, the five of five. Okay, but it's a two chord, and then it goes into its regular two chord, D minor seven to G seven, that's the five chord, and then three, six, two, five, one. Okay, cool. That's the first eight bars. And now with this tune, it repeats itself. So actually, everything is essentially the same until we get to we get to that D seven again. And then it goes D minor seven, G seven, and then it actually resolves to the C six. So this happens a lot. We call this an AABA form, by the way. That's what Yardbird Suite is. AA, kind of meaning those first two sections are the same, if not similar. And usually, when you have an AAB uh, AABA form, that second A usually has some sort of resolution. So instead of that two, uh, that three six two five right? Which is basically, again, a turnaround trying to get you back to the top again. It resolves by just going two, five, one, right? So it's sort of closing off, adding a bow to the main theme, right? The main theme was... Right? Even in the melody, that's how it ends right there. Okay, now we go to the bridge. Okay, we go to the bridge. So we have to get to the bridge somehow. Now the bridge, as we're going into it, it starts with a a B7 or a B altered. So automatically we know we're going into a different key, okay? And that chord that we resolve to, it's in bar 17, if you're following along, is an E minor seventh chord, okay? So B7 to E minor seven. Now we do know that E minor seven is the we do know that it is the three chord in c major however it's actually not helpful for us to think about this e minor seventh as being associated with c major because as you're going to clearly see over the next four bars we are really in e minor land here this is really where we're sitting at so this b7 is the five to the one Okay, B7 is the five chord resolving to the one chord. This B7 is a pickup chord, tonicizing that one to help us establish in our ear that we're in a new key now. Okay, so 
B7 to E minor 7. So this E minor 7, this, let's, let's go over this next four bar. We have the E minor 7 for one bar. We have a F sharp minor 7 flat 5, B7 to an E minor 7 to an A7. Ooh, something interesting is happening here. So, again, the B7 tonicizing the E minor 7. We're now in the key of concert E minor, okay? So E minor is our one chord for one bar. Then we have a F sharp minor 7 flat 5 to a B7 flat 9 or altered to a E minor 7th again. So what is that? F sharp, B, E minor. That's a 2, 5, 1. So that 2, 5, 1 is really solidifying to our ears. We're in E minor, right? All, all sounds are leading to E minor now. So this creates a really nice sound. That's the melody right there. So it's E minor 7. And then that's the F sharp minor 7, B7, this E minor 7. And there's that A7. Okay, so what's the A7? The A7 is actually bringing us into a new key center again. Because again, what's the rule? You look at what comes before it and what comes after it. So if you were to think for a second, well, E minor 7 to A7, what's going on there? We were in the key of E minor, right? We tonicized it. Now we have this A7, and the melody tells the story too. Like, you just hear that we're going somewhere else with the melody. Well, the next chord after that A7 is a D minor 7. Ooh, okay. So now the A7 is essentially tonicizing the D minor, okay? Now, D minor, again, it's the two chord in in concert C, but you'll see again, we're really solidifying ourselves now into the key of D minor, even more than before. It's not just a secondary dominant, it's D minor, right? So this A7 is really acting as a five chord to the D minor seventh chord. So our D minor seventh is a one chord. So again, we have... A7, and then we have um, okay, that's the next four bars. Okay, so we got that D minor seventh, and now, so this is the, this is the next four bars. D minor seven, E minor seven flat five, A7 to D7, and then D minor seven, G7. Okay, so it's D minor seven, we got there from the A7, so D minor 7, E minor 7, A7, D7, D minor 7, G7. So, again, in the melody, so we had... That's the A7, and then to D minor 7. E minor 7 flat 5, A7 to D7. So again, the E minor 7 flat 5 to the A7, that's a 2-5 chord progression, right? But then we go to a D7. D7. Okay, something is happening now, right? Because again, let's look at the chords come after that. So we have D7 to a D minor 7 to a G7. We've seen this before. We had the D7. That's the 5 of 5. Then we switch it to its proper minor 7th quality. So D minor 7 is 2. G7 is the 5 because we look at the chord that comes after it and we're back at the last A section. It resolves to a C6. 
So the, let's summarize the bridge here. Basically, the bridge, we have two new key centers. We have the key of E minor and the key of D minor. So we got there with that B7 to the E minor 7, 2, 5, 1, 5 of D minor, 1, 2, 5. Now, it sounds like a 1. It is a 1, right? But it's also the secondary dominant now. We're in the key of uh, we're now in the key of C, right? D minor 7, G7, C6. Okay, now, how does this song end? It ends the same way we started. That's what we call it an AABA form. So the last A section is really the same as the second A section. You know, it goes the one chord, the F minor 7, B flat, that's the deceptive cadence. The C major 7, the tritone substitution. The A7 secondary dominant to the D7 secondary dominant, two, five, one. And then when you want to do improvising, right, you do another two, five to get back to the top again. And then, right, you can start improvising. Okay. So what are the main takeaways that I want you to take away from Yardbird Suite today? So first of all, I want to, I want to point out the deceptive cadence, right? And the backdoor dominant concept, because that's going to come up quite a bit. I also want to point out the secondary dominance, right? Both the five of six and the five of five. And I also want to point out the tonicization that's happening in the bridge, the E minor and the D minor. And the overarching theme whenever you're analyzing any jazz standards is you need to be mindful of the chords that came before and the chords that came after. And then I'll end just reinforcing the the message that I always preach. The more we learn new jazz standards and experience them, even if we don't completely understand them at first, the more we start to understand these concepts better. So make it your goal to continually learn jazz standards, analyze them, study them, improvise over them. This is really how you become better at you know, comping, at playing bass lines, at improvising, is just going through this process and deepening your understanding of these jazz standards. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. Hope you found some value from today's show. Always remember that knowledge without action isn't really knowledge at all. So you need to apply the things that you learn here today and uh, take action. So I encourage you to do that. Of course, if you need help taking action, that's what our LJS Inner Circle membership is literally all about. We learn a new jazz standard every single month. We do a chords analysis. We do a training video. We learn an etude. We work through chord tone, guide tone, scale, approach tone mapping exercises. If you're a bass player, we have bass lines for you. This is what we do on a regular basis. Like we actually take action. We actually practice with each other. We like share each other's work with our community. It's just a lot of fun. So do check it out at ljsinnercircle.com if you'd like to get further help with your jazz playing. All right. We're going to be coming out with another great quick win episode of the podcast coming up on Friday. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and look forward to seeing you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by learnjazzstandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes and don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter.
Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.